disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. It's the Disruption Zone. Lots to talk about with Congressman Thomas Massey today. Uh, CDC misinformation. We're going to talk about the uh, rent moratorium, the uh, eviction moratorium. And then we're going to talk about, are we on the precipice of a very bad economic situation? So we're going to get into all of that. Um, First, though, I want to thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, for their help with this program. Uh, If you're thinking about, sorry, my dog is in here. Hang on, buddy. Hang on. We'll go outside in a minute. He wants to go for his morning walk. If you're thinking about doing your kitchen, uh, I would go with Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. I'm not just saying that because they support the program. I'm saying that because I've been a customer of theirs, and I'm confident that the beautiful work they did in our kitchen is the reason our house sold in less than a day when we put it on the market. Guys, if you want your dream kitchen, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops can deliver. Michelle, Kelly, George, they are all waiting to take your call. And uh, go to the website, LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com, or give them a call at 502-930-3304. If you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they have cabinets in stock that are super high quality and affordable. 6200 Lane. if you're in southern Indiana, Kentucky, wherever, Get Louisville Cabinets and Countertops to do your kitchen. They're awesome. All right, now our conversation with Congressman Thomas Massey. Which county is that saying in? Um, Lewis County. All the good sayings come from here. Oh, okay. Like when people say you're going to hang in there. Yeah. And I say like a hair and a biscuit. Oh, my! now, so my dad says that all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's supposed to, supposedly that comes from Lewis County. <laughs> I don't know. I'm claiming all this good stuff. <laughs> My dad says, fit as a fiddle and fine as a frog hair. <laughs> and uh, hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. That's funny. My so. dad. What? I'm sure you've heard this. Is a frog's ass watertight? <laughs> if you had something obvious. <laughs> I guess it would be. I mean, when you think about it logically, right? <laughs> That's funny. Well, uh, welcome back to the podcast, sir. And how are you? Good. How are you uh, doing, Leland? I'm good. I... Boy, there's so much I wanted to talk to you about, but l- let me let me start with what I texted you about, and that. Oh was, no, this is a bait and switch, but you're gonna let me talk about the topic. Right, right, exactly. No, no, it's all it, it all it all rolls along, you know, with it. You but, know me; I roll with anything you throw at me. Sometimes you just put new stuff out there, so. and it just gets me in trouble every time. Yes, yes, which I love the secondhand hate. So bring it on. Um, you tweeted the other day. The CDC has betrayed Americans through acts of omission and commission. It's criminal that we must rely on our own individual experiences and the experiences of those within our circles to know what's going on with the virus and vaccines. Early on in this, you actually gave the CDC a little bit of the benefit of the doubt when you first caught them with wrong information. Correct. Now you've kind of ratcheted up a little bit because it seems like it keeps happening the the uh, cdc put out numbers the other day about florida that made the uh the mainstream media go into vapors thinking that they had you know they had caught the great ron DeSantis in killing people with covid never mind they never covered you know cuomo in new york with the 
grandma stuff. But it turned out that information was wrong. They had doubled up numbers onto one day that were over several days. It, do you think now that some of what's happening here is on purpose or is it that much incompetence or both? Uh, you always got to leave open the incompetence option. Right. Because some of that's always involved. Right. I mean, if they were completely competent, they'd be getting away with their lies, and we wouldn't That's know good point. it. Good point. But that one thing's for certain, they are lying. Now, now we, hold on. Before let me, let me get, break that down. Yeah. Are they lying, or do they just not know, and they're just telling the wrong stuff? Because there is a difference. Like, if I'm lying to you, I am purposely right. setting out to obfuscate the truth. Do you think this, that it's doing that? This was the journey that I took. Okay. I'm a... I'm an Eastern Kentucky boy. I always assume everybody, probably to a fault, always assume everybody is acting above board Mm -hmm. and that uh, if they do something that hurts you, they did it by mistake. Right. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. That's just the way I was brought up. Right. And so it took me a while to catch on. But what I came to realize is that the misinformation from the CDC is intentional. That's that's what I meant when I, in my tweet when mm-hmm. I said through acts of omission and commission. Right. In other words, well, they've left some stuff out. Maybe that was an accident. But through commission, they are they are intentionally generating facts to support their narrative that that aren't actual facts, and they are misrepresenting facts that have been put out there to support their narrative. But if I learned anything in this COVID exercise over the last 18 months, it is that public health policy is not science. Public health policy is the art of messaging to people to get an outcome of the, of the entire population, not of any individual. And that their job description doesn't just allow for it requires them to lie to you. They believe it's not just like they will tolerate it. It's part of their job description. You know, in the movies, you see, yeah, go find some movie where there's some pandemic or some outbreak or something, and you see the people at the top lying to the general public, and you think, oh, my gosh, this is, that's an evil character in this movie plot. Or maybe they show, or maybe they're showing you a decent character in the movie plot who's conflicted on whether you lie to save lives, or you tell the truth knowing it will cost lives. Well, the CDC thinks they are in that movie, and they they believe it's their job to lie to you to save you. Right. But the problem is they're so incompetent that it doesn't work out. And individually, you need to make your own decisions because they are not looking out for individuals. They're looking out for the general population. They're looking at those top-line numbers, hospitalizations, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're not looking at individual decisions. So if you want to make individual decisions for the good of yourself and your family, the first thing you need to understand is that the information that comes from the CDC is not designed to help you and your family in particular. It's designed to help the general population and may contain lies. See, I think that's a really good analogy because I I do think there's good people in government who think they're trying to save lives. 
and maybe you could from a broad macro perspective you could say hey look the more people that get vaccinated the better off we are right and it appears that that's the case now that that is setting aside the fact that there could could be long-term effects to this vaccine we don't know we we assume there aren't uh but at least in the in the short term it's definitely keeping people out of the hospital so from that perspective a macro perspective it does make sense to get as many people to be encouraged to be vaccinated as possible so is it that they've all is it that bureaucracies like this have always done this to us and it's just that in the day and age Twitter and you know social media people like you can call them out on it and then it leads to confusion because there is lies in what they're saying so in other words let me get, give you an example okay. of the lie you get you gave kind of an example let me give you an example of a lie they would tell that they think is good for the general population that you should ignore <laughs> if you are an informed individual. Right. Okay. The lie they will tell you is that you need to get vaccinated even if you've recovered from COVID. Correct. Okay. The reason they are telling you that lie is they do not trust the general population to know whether they had COVID or not. Mm -hmm. In fact, they may not trust their own PCR tests. In right. fact, we know they don't trust their own PCR tests. Isn't it confusing the flu with COVID in some cases, and that's why the flu I, has completely disappeared? I don't know if that's the case. They okay. haven't admitted to that, but they have suggested that people should have a test that differentiates or, or does both tests at the same time, the All flu right. and COVID. All right. um, maybe, maybe what's happened is people just quit testing for the flu. Right. And maybe that's why it went away. I, I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, by the way, I mean, there's also these, like, people get bacterial pneumonia as a complication of COVID. Right. This happened to my brother. Mm -hmm. And they think, well, there's nothing they can do for me for COVID. So I'll just tough this out. Meanwhile, the bacterial pneumonia develops when they could be treating you with antibiotics. Right. That's really, that's dangerous. I think a lot of people have been harmed in that way because the, the, Basically, the CDC refused to uh, refuses to give a, a, a advice on treating COVID. That, They've acted like once you get it, it's over with. Yeah. And so, okay, but let me get back to the lie. Okay, they they don't trust you to know whether you had COVID or not, and so they decided that it's safer instead of trusting people to figure out whether they had COVID or not, just to give everybody the Blanket vaccine. vaccinations, yeah. But if you know, let's say you, like in my case, in my wife's case, that if you went and got an antibody test, now, the likelihood of that being a false positive as opposed to the PCR test is extremely low. Right. You can't find something that's... Not there. Not there. In fact, with antibodies, they dilute <clears throat> the antibodies to find at your titer level. They don't multiply it. Mm -hmm. They they dilute it once, and then they see if uh, it still shows up. Then they dilute it again and see if it still shows up. This is how they get your titer level. They find out what's the most dilution they can apply to your antibodies and still measure your antibodies. So it's actually kind of the opposite of a PCR test where they're trying to multiply. And oh, by the way, if they find a, po a false positive, what have they found? Well, they may have found that you had some other coronavirus infection, mm. and the way that your body responded produced antibodies which are cross 
you know, reactive right. to, to SARS-CoV-2. In other words, you maybe you didn't have SARS-CoV-2. Maybe you had SARS-CoV mm-hmm. long ago. Maybe you had some other thing, and the way in which your body reacted produced antibodies that, oh, guess what, also work for SARS-CoV-2. So the antibody test is more reliable. So if you've gone and done that, if you've done your homework, you've done your research, if if somebody else near you was sick at the same time and also tested positive for antibodies, then you got a pretty good certainty that you had it. And so then make a decision based on that, not what the CDC is telling you. Yeah. Because they are fabricating and misrepresenting facts to to try and advance that narrative that everybody should get it, even if they've or it should get the vaccine, even if they've already had COVID. Uh, okay, so let's if what you're trying to do is save the most lives just listening to all of this from a again a macro perspective i get that like we want to try to save the most lives possible that makes sense to me so what i would do if i was tackling this if i were bureaucrat a put in charge of this process i would say all right well let's here's what we need to do we need widespread easily available uh antibody testing in society because the first thing we got to do is weed out who needs the vaccine and who doesn't like that's the most efficient use of the vaccine if i'm not trying to just pad the profits of a legally immune big pharma company then the first thing i'm going to do is just try to figure out exactly who needs it and we do that by let's do a mass antibody test like hey everybody here's what we encourage you to do we encourage you to either get vaccinated or get an antibodies test and that's fine, if, and, and I don't agree with this idea because showing papers drives me nuts, but, you know, fine. At least it's scientific. At it least makes... it's scientific, and you say, here, here's your card that says I have the antibodies. Here's your antibody card, or here's your vaccine card. Fine. Mm-hmm. That would make sense to me from uh, – and the other thing I would be doing is I would be busting my ass to try to find therapeutics. And there's so much evidence that ivermectin and potentially hydroxychloroquine in certain cases – could be therapeutic and sometimes preventative to COVID. And yet anytime somebody brings that up, heck, me just bringing that up right now might get me kicked off Apple Podcasts. <laughs> okay, I want to say this on your podcast to help you get kicked off. Okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> that looks fun. I haven't, I haven't tweeted this and know that we're 10 minutes in, probably most of the blue check marks have quit listening yeah, right. and the snitches. <laughs> uh, I decided to treat my cattle for parasites okay and there's this product that you can buy at any farm store called ivermectrin mm-hmm. and it's in a solution it smells like alcohol it's diluted in a solution and you pour it on the cattle you don't you just pour inject it, on the it cattle's body yeah they don't okay. eat it you you pour like half a cup of it on their back okay and it'll soak into their skin now in the past i've been raising cattle for 18 years Every time I spilled a little bit of that on myself, which is inevitable, you got drunk. It, it, no, <laughs> I would. I'd, I'd wash. I'd run over to the creek and wash it off my hands. Okay. Well, this time I, I was like, ah, oh, what's a little ivermectin going to hurt <laughs> on your hand? <laughs> and you left it on there. I left it on there. I know. Okay. Now, disclaimer: Do not, I not, do not do this at home. This is going to be all. You know the. Two decades I've been raising cattle. I did not know that ivermectin was also used on people. And I thought it was just so one of these chemicals that had only been approved for cattle. And right. so I was extremely very careful with it. In fact, I was reluctant to treat any of the calves with it 
um, because I didn't want to get anything in an animal that's going to be used for meat. Right. And so I would just treat the mothers. Right. Um, to kind of get to herd immunity. <laughs> right, right. Well, you, you know that that's heartworm medicine for dogs is ivermectin. Well, that's what it's used for in, in cattle is, a, is yeah. for it's a para- bigger it's parasites. An anti, it, yeah, it's an anti-parasitic medicine. But what, what I, and, and I'll just, where I got this from, sources, Joe Rogan's podcast with Brett Weinstein, and there was a doctor, and I can never remember his name, but he's he was an ICU doctor. Now, one of the studies on ivermectin has been pulled but it was conveniently pulled after that podcast. I got tens of millions of listeners. And that lines up with the fact that these doctors and these scientists that were talking about the things that they found out about ivermectin were getting pulled off of YouTube and so on and so forth. So, again, we're not recommending that you take it, but it is rather interesting that, you know, whenever they and, and I guess my, my broader story here is not that, hey, ivermectin is the thing. I, I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't either. Right. What I do know is that when people have talked about therapeutics, they have been shut down. And it seems like the first order of business in a pandemic like this was to get a vaccine and then simultaneously get a therapeutic. Um, in fact, normally we would have come up with the therapeutic before the vaccine because of the normal timelines on these things. And so right now we have one arrow in our quiver. That's it. And it's the vaccine. And it doesn't seem like anyone is interested in the other two, I think, other two possible arrows that we could have. And one of those is a therapeutic or more than one and nutrition discussions. Because oh, that, that'll get you banned. You already that, know that'll that. get me banned right there. I mean, it got me banned on Facebook already, like saying, hey, look, you shouldn't be fat. I mean, I'm sorry, but you, you should you should watch your weight. You should not be diabetic if you can help it. You know, I mean, it's these are things that exacerbate COVID, and there's some studies that show that draw it to it. You know what I mean? Right. And by by the way, there there are other treatments uh, that aren't even as speculative as ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, monoclonal antibodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to a certain senator who might be from my state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, because. He's a doctor, and and two people close to me who've been vaccinated recently got COVID, and he said, he, he said, you know, you should look into monoclonal antibodies. What are they? Uh, well, they are pro- immune system proteins created in the lab. Okay. Uh, so it's it's like your own antibodies, but they're they're made in a lab so okay. you could get you could get uh antibodies from somebody who's recovered from covid through you know a transfusion okay that's that's uh, uh why are we not doing that on a mass basis ah, gee. Why, why are we not taking those that have been through this and using that to help those that are about to go through it like that doesn't make any sense to me it doesn't make any sense to me i mean i'd i'd no, very the... few people who've received that treatment. Yeah, right. we know it's available, and the Red Cross will only accept uh, those anab or let's see, is it uh, Red Cross? Whoever takes those donations. Yeah, um, there are some smaller groups within states that where you can go to and donate your blood if you're trying to donate antibodies. But in any case, they only accept antibodies from people who had the natural infection, not from right. the ones who had the vaccine. By right. The way. Right. Well, but yeah, why aren't we? Why aren't we doing that on a wide scale basis? There's so this is why I am dubious, because you have the only the, the only entities that are immune 
are big pharma and they're immune from being sued for any potential outcomes of the, the vaccine. And every other avenue to fight this is shut down. And I'm not being critical of the vaccine. Look, it, it looks like it's great. It looks like it's great. And I, I fully respect you if you've chosen to take it. I, I encourage my dad to. I think it's a risk versus reward assessment. My dad's 80. I said, get the vaccine. You're around people a lot. You're a pastor. You need to get the vaccine. He's diabetic. You know, he's all these different things. You need to get the vaccine. He got it. I'm glad he did. I feel better knowing, you know, at night, going to bed, knowing that my dad's got it. So I'm not anti-vaccine. I just want to make that clear. But it sure, it sure brings questions to my mind when you can't talk about anything else. And we have pretty much for every other medical emergency in history talked about having all hands on deck. And if this is as bad as they say it is, then we need an all hands on deck approach. And yet we're chopping off any hand that isn't, you know, big pharma's hand. And we should be collecting more data and publishing it. This, to not yeah. to do this just makes people more suspicious. Yeah. Why, why do we have to go to countries like Israel? Why do we have to go to organizations like Cleveland Clinic um, to get this data? Why? You know what, Leland? I went back and I thought, well, the Red Cross collects blood every day and they're uh, – they give you up until recently they would give you a free antibody test to let you know right and um i thought well you know that may not be a scientific randomized sample of the general population but it's a sample of the population yeah and we could track certain trends by looking at donations to red cross and analyzing some of that so i went back and looked and you know what all i could find was one study and that study was done before this pandemic was even literally a pandemic, yeah, they studied blood donations in December and January in the United States to Red Cross. And what they f found is that uh, COVID was here in December and January. Right. But why aren't they doing that study right now yeah. in all the blood samples they've taken where people willingly rolled up their sleeve and said, here... You can put a needle in me, and I will donate my blood to help my fellow man right. or woman. And um, why aren't we looking at that and publishing that and using that to track? If I if I could if I knew that I could do it, I'd go get an antibody test right now, and then I'd donate antibodies if I had it. And I bet you, I'm probably about ninety percent certain I probably have them. So I would if I knew that I, I it could be done, I would go down. You know what I mean? I would do mm -hmm. it in a heartbeat. I would too. I tried. I tried to. You have the antibodies, don't you? From over a year ago. I had. Uh, well, the test was uh, a little bit over a year ago. I had the antibodies. Had three times the level considered a robust immune response. So, in terms of okay. level of antibodies, I qualified. But um, the two attempts I made with two different organizations were un unresponsive because they ask you, "Did you have a positive PCR test?" Okay. And I didn't. Because Cause you had the virus before, before we knew there that was, it was a thing. Yeah, yeah before yeah. there were tests. Yeah, I remember that. You, so, you were one of those January victims. Correct. January 4th to January 7th. I remember it very well. And then my <laughs> wife had it the second or third week of January. And then uh, suspect my daughter had it after that. Right. But by July, August of last year, we went and got the antibody test. And that's when I found I had them. I tried to donate. And they're like, no, well, you didn't. We don't know that you had it, even though you have the antibodies. Right, which we could use. 
which we but, can use. But we don't want to. We don't want to take now, it out of the wrong box. But now, here, uh, a few months later, I went and tested, and I didn't have enough antibodies. In fact, they told me it didn't register. Mm. So uh, they diminished the IgG. That was a test for IgG antibodies. Uh, but I'm confident that I've got the B cells and the T cells. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't it? Stuff. You don't necessarily have to have a high antibody count to have per, have natural immunity to it you just because what they're saying is some of the studies they they feel like that it's possible well i've i say they who's they i don't know i've read i'm not an expert but i have read some encouraging things that there are studies that show they believe once you've had it you could be immune for years if not for life and that that's the way it was with SARS-CoV we got the SARS-CoV-2. Right. So I'd like to know if anybody out there is getting COVID twice. I've heard of a couple of cases, but not very many. Because right now they're telling us that everyone is dying in the streets. We have zombies walking around. We need to shut everything down again. Put a mask on your child. Um, everybody freak out. Stay home. And the hospitals are overflowing. Which, by the way, if I could just say this, Congressman Massey. There is no excuse for any hospital complaining right now that they don't have capacity. No excuse. To, to have a year and a half of this under our belt, to know that there are going to be variations out there, variants of the virus, to know that so long as there's still a population that's vulnerable to it and not be prepared, that's... So somebody's either... Either somebody was derelict in their duty or they're lying about this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I have multiple times gone to the John Hopkins University um, website to look at ICU bed utilization in the United States. You can they keep a daily track of it. Right. And what it shows is, I don't know the exact number, maybe ten or twenty percent in this recent surge of ICU beds are occupied by. So this, this stuff about Florida is calling for ventilators, is that just made up? Well, there are states where uh, there are hot spots like Louisiana. Right. Um, and literally, it could be related to the weather. Uh, but there are areas where I do believe they are having a crunch in terms of staffing and, and hospital beds. I need a ventilator in Colorado because of the wildfire smoke from the california where those greenies wouldn't clean up their forests and now it's burning and it's but, like it's so thick here you can't see the mountains two miles away it's ridiculous but in the beginning the you know it was all about getting more ventilators right which is a death sentence is my understanding like well i don't know the causality of it but um it's an indicator things aren't going well now yeah. whether it contributes to the I think they were overventilating, possibly, is what they decided ah, early gotcha. on. So maybe they're not doing... Yeah, because there it's, were a lot of people that once they went on that ventilator, you were like, oh, man. Well, you, there's all... I mean, they're rightfully reluctant to do it because there's complications that can happen. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about a couple other quick things, too, and it's all tied to the COVID lockdowns. Um, so Business Insider, I sent you this story. You've been raising a ruckus about meat for a while. You've been doing everything you can because we had meat supply chain problems last year and you wanted to try to free up mom and pop smaller outfits to, you know, cut up meat for grocery stores. No one wanted to listen to you. Um, now here we're sitting 
Business Insider had an article, Grilling could soon get more expensive. Tyson Foods, the world's second largest meat processor, has already hiked prices by as much as 40% and says there's more on the way. Starting to look like chicken is going to become the new plywood. Um, They said that the inflation in their industry is over 14%. The price of pork has gone up by 39%, beef 12%, chicken 16%. Um... We we are and then as as all of this is happening, as this inflation at the pump, as this inflation in products that we need is going up, we had a quote unquote bipartisan infrastructure bill spending trillions of dollars we don't have. Are we literally whistling past the graveyard here? I believe we are. We're very vulnerable on our food supply, particularly protein, which is the one area that I feel somewhat qualified to speak about since I raise cattle. Right. And, and don't sold, liberals like that meat prices are going up because they don't want us to eat it anyway? Some do. Some do. Um, but there are some liberals who recognize if you're going to eat, uh, eating locally is actually the safest, healthiest, most traceable way of doing it. Um, and so if they're not vegetarians uh, or not on some social justice mission to make everybody else a vegetarian, right. then they... they um, I've got liberals who support the bill that I've got in Congress called the Prime Act, which right. would help cut out the corporate monopoly that exists which, between farmers and consumers. Right. So just to recap, there's four companies that control 85% of the meat processed in the United States. That's it, scary. It, okay, it gets scarier. One of them is Brazilian, and the other is completely owned by the Chinese. <laughs> That, did, that's not that's not terrifying. How did we let this happen? Right. Uh, well, and so there are solutions in Congress. Farmers know it's a, it's been a it's been a tragedy for farmers because with this monopoly, they can control their input pricing as well as their output pricing. Right. And so they force farmers to sell their animals at below cost uh, because there's not a competitive market to buy the animals. Right. And they got rid of the country of origin labeling. Right. They got Congress to so do. We don't that. know if our chicken is from China or from Brazil or from. Well, they've right now. Omaha. Right, right now they've taken away country of origin labeling for uh, beef and pork. Oh, okay. Uh, chicken, I think, may still be labeled. We can still find an Omaha chicken. Yes, and then, uh, but, anyways, this is this is the situation we face, and when COVID first hit. There were lots of shutdowns at these factories, and so you would go to Wendy's and couldn't even get a hamburger. Meanwhile, you could see a cow from the drive-thru at the Wendy's, you know, Yeah. and wonder, okay, what's the problem here, guys? There's a cow, and you've got a grill. Why can't you sell me a hamburger? Right. And and the reality is it's because we have a very brittle supply chain controlled by four companies. Right. So, and then um, this year, that was last year. And they've had fits and starts. And then this year, the Brazilian company, which uh, got hacked globally, that's JBS, uh, they got hacked. And so there was a shortage there, which pushed all the prices up. So we, we're seeing this. We see it with milk. We saw it also with chickens. Um, and they were euthanizing animals. Farmers were literally yeah. putting them in wood chippers. Yeah. Uh, not because they're mean or cruel. It was the most humane thing to do. You can't have geriatric hogs on your farm. Right. I mean, 
the the breeds they get heart disease and broken legs and all sorts of ailments. <laughs> you, you know what my wife said to me the other day? She looked at me and she goes, the fact that the vast majority of America doesn't know and doesn't care that last year we slaughtered millions of animals and wasted them is a sign that we as a society are completely doomed. And I thought that was pretty profound because she was like, the fact that nobody really cared that you were out there banging that drum, no journalist cared to really report it, no, that it was covered up. That, to me, is a sign because, I mean, it, the information was out there, but it just wasn't hot. So, you know, news organizations are going to sell what leads and what bleeds and what pays. And nobody was all that interested in it, you know? It's like we we're all trying to get our hamburger at Kroger, but nobody really cared that we were slaughtering these animals. That's... I never thought of it that way. I mean, I think of it at a discrete level on on my farm. Like if an animal dies, the first thing I think about is not, oh, my gosh, I just lost $500. Right. The first thing I think about is what could I have done to prevent it suffering? Right. Could I have saved it? I feel sympathy or empathy for the animal. Right. Um, and if people don't even care. Right. Like, you mean there's this misconception that if you eat animals, you don't care about animals. No, right. I want them to have the best life possible yeah. in the period of time they're on this planet. And they should never suffer unnecessarily or go to waste. Right. And it does say something about our society. If nobody cared that all of those, you know, mammals were slaughtered for nothing. Right. That's a problem. Yeah. And and when I say for nothing, actually, it's worse than that. It's because we've got this regulatory system that's put the small guys out of business that could have processed those animals so that we get this centralized meat processing system that when it shuts down, it shuts down completely. And the traffic jam means that farm animals die unnecessarily yeah. and consumers can't get what they want at the supermarket. Right. Right. And you'll so I think you're going to see more of this going forward until we get something like my Primac passed. I think you're going to see prices go up at the supermarket, and prices that farmers are receiving for their animals go down. Right. Wow. So yeah, somebody's making money in the, the middle somewhere. It, yeah, and then guess what? When the farm when the small farmers can't afford to be in business, what do they do? They sell their farms, and who do they sell them to? A lot big of big business. corporations yeah. and foreign companies countries yep. you know they're from foreign countries but they're foreign companies or big business go in and buy up and aggregate the farmland this right. we are headed in the wrong direction this is actually something that that a, a lot of liberals if you start talking to them they they care about they start to right. understand that it is a problem and that's why the prime act is bipartisan in the house and the senate I hope we can get that passed. I really do. This segues well, though, into really bad progressive policy, um, and that is the the moratorium on evictions. And I made the comment last week. I can't remember which radio show I was doing, but I was explaining to people that one of the, the byproducts of the moratorium is that it actually hurts the people that it's supposed to help. It's going to drive up the price of housing because when you have – property owners who have gone without money for a year but had to maintain those properties by law they're going to have to find a way to get that back and again referring to my wife she was telling me an anecdotal story about an employee of theirs who the day the moratorium first expired and of course it's been put back in place it's clearly unconstitutional but 
and the president admits that. And he says, that's fine. It'll buy us time while the courts figure it out, which is dereliction of duty, but that's a whole other side thing. The day that the, it first expired, the landlord for this person raised their rent on an apartment $400. Now, this family had moved out of a bad, young young family, had moved out of a bad neighborhood. They were tired of the crime. They were trying to get to a safe area. When their rent went up $400 on one day, they could no longer afford to live in the safe neighborhood they were able to move to. That is the consequences that are going to roll downhill. So not only are people going to lose their homes and, and apartments, but new people coming in to try to rent or people currently renting are going to get squeezed even more by prices going up. And so when they talk about affordable housing out of one side of their mouth, they're really creating conditions like look at California's regulatory scheme for building, right? They complain about affordable housing and it's the regulations that make it so expensive to build. So this is yet another example of progressive policy literally driving prices up and hurting the people it's supposedly going to help. And the, and there's something else that could happen and is happening instead of the prices going up. And that is the property owners can't get access to capital to, to make it to Right. Uh, the end of the eviction moratorium, and they don't fix the properties. Right. So the safe neighborhood, and the you know, and the clean neighborhood that you were talking about may go downhill. Right. Um, if you can't put in, you may defer putting a new roof on the property. Right. And the other thing that's going to happen is the same thing that we I just talked about. The danger of in farms is that the corporate uh, entities come in and buy up the farmland when the farmers can't whether these storms which are created by government well the same thing is going to happen in the private housing market and some people say there's actually intent to call the, to make this happen i i haven't said that there's intent yet but what's going to happen whether there's intent or not is that uh, these companies the big giant companies have access to almost zero cost of money mm-hmm and they're going to go in and buy up properties from these small landlords, consolidate it, and then eventually, you, if you're a renter, you're actually going to just be a resident of some corporation, no matter right. which state you live in. Right. You can go, oh, we'll give you a discount if, if you move from Acme Housing in Kentucky <laughs> to Acme Housing in Ohio. Right. right. We, we can, you, you won't even have to uh, cancel your lease and pay your lease fee. We'll right. just walk you into this other lease because we're the same company. Right. Acme Housing. Right. Which, that sounds very, um, that's terrifying to me. Uh, because it, it when you do that, you don't the consumer then loses their power in the problem in the in the in the negotiation, right? It's the same as healthcare. Right? Well, we only also, have like four healthcare companies, the consumer no longer gets to negotiate for their prices. So now it's like the prices everybody every apartment is Acme housing. So it's not like I can shop around, you know what I mean? And when you when you have absentee landowners, they just don't take as good care of the land in right. the in the county i live in it's a rural county mm-hmm. um, there are timber companies that own property but they they may show up once every five years to check the boundary to make sure nobody's cutting timber on it. meanwhile people are dumping trash on those properties right, right because it's a it's a remote corporate entity right 
that doesn't take as good of care. Probably growing marijuana on it. Not that that's oh, bad yeah, thing, that's happened. Yes. Not that there's anything wrong with that. but <laughs> Yeah, be careful where you go on your nature hike. Oh, I know. Look, the, the, I've had guns pulled on me several times hiking in rural Kentucky because I walked along the long... I've had creek. guns in a pack of Rottweilers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Don't trip that. Don't trip over the cans. Yeah, please. <laughs> Anyways, um, what I'm saying is it's good to have people who are co-located in the neighborhoods to have landlords who um, live in those neighborhoods. Right. And because when you don't, there's less incentive to keep it up. Yeah, yeah. The, Fox News did a story about a guy in North Carolina that had several properties, and there was a guy apparently that owned three boats that just decided he wasn't going to pay his rent for a year and a half. Um, and meanwhile, by law, zoning law and community law, county law in that state that he was in, he had to pay for a brand new air conditioning system for this guy when the heat went out in the summer and so on and so forth. So he's out like literally thousands, tens of thousands of dollars and he'll never get that back, you know, cause he can evict that dude, but that dude's never going to pay that money. You know what I mean? So it's like, what do you do in that situation? Well, listen, it's I, terrible I, policy. I, I know somebody who's he's not rich, but he's a property manager. He works for the landlords and tries to take care and keep up the properties. And um, he's taken several of these folks to court because they go. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that everybody is like this. These are the exceptions, not the rule. But there are people going on vacations and posting it on Facebook and then not paying their rent, not paying and, their rent yeah. and saying they can't afford it. Or people post a picture of their new truck on Facebook. Right. And so he's gone. He gets aggressive. He goes into their social media and finds evidence. Nice. You nice. Know. And that I think he's actually won a few cases where they have to pay their rent. And ultimately, nobody wants to evict anybody. That's not a good circumstance. Right. It's just pay your rent. And how are they going? Folks are not going to get caught up. Let me tell you why this eviction moratorium, there's many reasons it's unconstitutional, but one of them is the Fifth Amendment that says if the government takes your property, they have to compensate you. Right. That's part of the Fifth Amendment. Right. And that's not happening. Mm -hmm. They've set aside funds for states to distribute, like for rental assistance, right. but for some reason it's not gone out. Here's what I don't understand. I don't understand why they wouldn't have just expanded the Federal Housing Authority and then just send checks to the landlords during the period of time that we decided that nobody had to pay rent. <laughs> I mean, it's like, socialist. Wouldn't that just be the easy thing? Yeah, yeah, it's socialist. It's all get out. But Well, sure it is. I'm not saying I support it. I'm just saying right. if, if I was the bureaucrat who was put in charge of fixing a problem that supposedly existed, which shouldn't have existed because we're already padding everybody's unemployment benefits, but whatever. If I was put in charge of that, I'd be like, all right, well, send a check to the landlord, unless I was trying to undermine property rights to begin with. There you go. I was about to say that. Unless this is more than about keeping people from yeah. being evicted. Unless this is about common ownership of all property by the government instead of by individuals. Yeah. Which brings but, me to... Go ahead. But, I'm sorry. But the reality is it's not going to become that. It's going to be like a common ownership by the government and large corporations. Yeah, that are in tied with the government yes. because we, we now have a corporate government. Um, Let me just – this kind of brings me to one last topic I wanted to cover with you, Um, and that is – Tom. I've been on this little war path ever since I read this quote by Thomas – I think it was Thomas Sewell that said it. Um, But it was basically – he said, remember that politicians – are never trying to solve your problems. They're trying to solve their own problems. 
And that really struck me because I thought it was true. Now, to the extent that my problems become your problems, you know, then the Congress will act. You know what I mean? But in general, across the board, this is why bills are named as if they fix a problem when they don't do anything because it's the it, and and I I sort of expanded from this topic and went on to this is the danger when Congress abdicates its duty and turns our lives over to bureaucrats who are all leftists. We are not run by the people we elect. We are run by the bureaucrats who've been put in place in these in these bureaucracies. The fact that the CDC can make an unconstitutional edict that takes over property rights is an example of the fact that it's even considered not 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 that the president is agreeing with it and just letting the courts work it out but the fact that it was ever even considered in the first place has nothing to do with a disease the fact that it actually happened shows me that we're so far down this road of bureaucrats running our lives that we literally only live in a theater of freedom we don't actually have freedom that to me you have politicians try to solve their own problems, which is their political problems, which is why they named the bill the American Recovery and Restoration Act. Then they hand it over to bureaucrats and lobbyists who write it, who write it for themselves. It becomes a 3,000-page behemoth. Bipartisan senators and re representatives sign off on it, go out and have a kumbaya press conference with their little mask on. The media reports it, and all it does is give more power to bureaucrats who are already running our lives. To me... This is a very scary place to be in a supposedly free country. The, the insight that I can provide to that tragic situation is that legislators want to have somebody else make the decision more often than not, and especially when it may be unpopular with, or unconstitutional. So, for instance, you know, President Trump's ATF banned bump stocks right and by the way it was president trump's cdc that put that in the put eviction the moratorium. Moratorium. yes no. why because republicans and in in the in the legislature and even democrats didn't want to be blamed for it right but especially on the bump stocks you remember we were at the time i believe we were in the majority and so they were the republicans were begging the president to ban bump stocks so we wouldn't have to vote on it. <laughs> uh, because they knew if they did what the people who elected them wanted them to do, right. they would have to vote against See, solving their own stocks. problems, not their not the their constituents' problems. And, and so the same thing with this eviction moratorium happened. They kept us around in Congress for a day when we weren't even scheduled to be there as the Democrats scrambled to try and find the votes to pass the eviction moratorium in the House and the Senate. Well, guess what? Even though they have a majority, they didn't have enough votes to pass it among Democrats because they had already been told that it's unconstitutional mm -hmm. by the <laughs> or illegal, whichever you want to do, yeah. say. Um, I think it's both, but they were told that it's illegal, and uh, they probably have, frankly, they probably have donors. Even the Democrats are going to have donors who own property, who are right, landlords, right. who are going to be mad at them if they pass it. So they ultimately did not. They sent us home. The eviction moratorium, that was on a Friday. It expired on a Saturday. And by Monday, Joe Biden announced he was going to do it. And he knew it was probably unconstitutional. Right. Uh, but it would take a while for the courts to catch up with him. He, he literally said, 
you know, this it'll take a, a yeah. couple months to litigate, and that'll yeah. buy us some time. To to but but buying them time to make a problem worse because this right. is this is this is a time bomb that's not going away. And the longer you wait, the worse. Because if if I'm a year and a half behind on my rent right now. And I, am I going to come up with that year and a half in two months? Because I still owe the money. That's the that's the interesting thing is that you still owe the money. Now, they're never going to get it out of those people. But if I am a year and a half behind, what am I going to do in two months? Nothing. I, I might as well not pay these two months rent because what's the difference between being 12 months behind on my rent or 14 months behind on my rent? You know what else, though? What's the difference between nullifying a private contract and telling one party they can live on another party's yeah, land right. and just outright taking the land right. or outright telling the the party who didn't collect the rent that you're never going to collect there the rent. There is no di- difference. They may try to string out this eviction moratorium and tell, because it's a self-perpetuating problem and it gets worse the longer it goes right, on, Right. they may try to keep it going in some fashion or another and tell the election and then campaign on forgiving yeah right. the more people that get sucked into this yeah uh and then get behind the eight ball uh and are facing eviction or paying 12 months of rent at one time the more people that get sucked into that that's a they're developing a constituency of people who want the land seized for them this in may, one way or another this may seem like a bit of a rabbit trail but i think it dovetails into it isn't that the danger of not having a real backed currency because like, this is where we go with like, Hey, we're just going to forgive all this college debt. There's trillion dollars in college debt. We're just going to forgive it. Fine. Where's that money coming from? Who's going to pay for all that money that was borrowed for all the products, all the, all the professors that were paid to teach to every, all the, all the housing in the school, who's going to pay for all that? Because all those products were consumed you know, whether it was knowledge making or whether it was the infrastructure of the college, all of those products were consumed. Who's going to pay for that? It's this idea that liberals have specifically, but also Republicans, too, that somehow or another we can just fart money. And there it is. Wait, wait. I, I only have one <laughs> objection to one word that you used in all of that, and it's not fart. OK. You said, isn't it a danger to have. Uh, a non, you know, currency that's not backed by anything. Leland, you and I know it's a danger, but to them, it's a feature. I know, yeah. It's a feature. It's a feature they understood when they established the Federal Reserve. Right. And fractional banking, it's a feature. Uh, it's a, it was a danger that the, you know, the founders understood, but it's a feature now, and it will be, our downfall, yeah, I believe. I it's a feature that allows you to have perpetual wars without ever taxing anybody for the war. Mm-hmm. It's a feature that allows you to take somebody's private property and give it to somebody else and then maybe even compensate the person you took right. it from. Right. Uh, it enables politicians to do everything without T- uh, ramifications for their constituency as far as taxes go, or at least not taxes they can see. The big tax they pay right. is inflation, which is where you kind of started out, 40% higher meat prices at the grill. Mm-hmm. That's the consequence of all of this. Yeah, and that's my fear. Um, because across the board, I did the math the other day, and I think 
President Biden's already cost the average American. If you do the average household cost for a year, which is somewhere around the $5,600, just, you know, paying for things that I need here and there. Um, and if that inflation, and I did this number based on the 5.4% inflation, which is long past that. We're way above that now. Um, that's going to cost, on average, somewhere around $2,400. Um, I forget what the number was, but somehow or another I came up, when you add that to the increase in the price of fuel and the everyday cost, it was going to be about $2,400. So it's like you got a stimulus check of $1,400, but in the first six months of Biden's presidency, he's already cost you $2,400. Nobody does the math on that kind of stuff. Let me um, let me be an equal opportunity okay. offender. Uh, since the beginning of these coronavirus bailouts and stimulus packages which started under yeah, Trump. Yeah, let's let's lump Trump in on this too cuz he he did it too. So. So let's start with March uh actually March 27th was the first 2 trillion dollar bill. There was a 100 billion dollar bill before that and an 8 billion before that. But that's just couch change. That's change in the couch <laughs> right, cushions. Right. Starting with the 2 trillion dollar bill and and going to through Trump's the end of his presidency presidency and to today we have incurred $5.2 trillion of debt in the name of coronavirus, mm. which is 40000 That's 40000 uh, of uh, debt for every family. Jeez. Now, for every household. And by the way, we were at $20 trillion, uh debt total at that time. So that we've, we've added 25% to the national debt over one situation 18 months. in yeah. 18 months. And so um, now we say that's debt, but I don't think they actually went out and borrowed all that. I no. mean, it's when you borrow it from yourself, right? It gets a little tricky. It's future tax. Yes, like when they borrow from the Social Security trust fund, mm -hmm. it's not coming from China. That they're borrowing against your future retirement, right? right. And so somebody's going to have to pay for it. But the reality is, if they cause more inflation. They they're not just taking it out of your paycheck this year. The COLA uh, th that they acknowledge for the purposes of Social Security uh, payment increases is a joke. Right. It's like one or two percent at most every year. Right. They they are inflating their way out of their obligation to seniors. Mm. And if you've looked at if you take everybody who's going to be on Social Security for the next 50 years and looked at the effect of inflation on them and real-world dollars in terms of what they have to live on during their retirements, Right, trillions of dollars have already been taken. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, without a tax. Imagine imagine being a, a, you know, a widower or, a, mm -hmm. or whatever, a widow or a widower. You're 70 years old, 72 years old right now. You, you're, you're cashing your Social Security checks. Maybe you have what was left of theirs and yours, maybe your income is $3,500 a month. But your mortgage is $2,500 a month. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you don't have any other way of making any other money. Yeah. yeah. And the grocery bill doubles. And the grocery bill is $500 a month. And you got to pay for gas. And you got to pay for medica medication and medical stuff. 
and you got you know you, you have <laughs> and your six left. month and your six month booster shot and your six month which, booster shot which you're going to need for the rest right, of, for the rest of however life. long you live. So so you're going and you're doing one of them reverse mortgages on the only asset that you have. You know, it's squeezing people. So yeah, I I but my my fear is that I feel like we're at the precipice of something even worse. Like it's one thing to talk about long term consequences, but looking at this rampant inflation and the other thing is like okay, so I just bought a car. And let me tell you why I bought the car, okay? I don't want to bore people here, but I bought the car because the car I had before, uh, I bought. I had bought maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and I was seeing these news stories, so I went in and I was like, hey, what do you give me for this? Dude goes, I'll give you, and the number was basically four or $500 more than I paid for the car a year ago, having driven it 30,000 miles, and I was like, that's a pretty good deal. I'll use that as you know mm-hmm. as a down payment. I'll buy this other thing. So I bought another car. Now, there was a little bit of inflation on the car I bought, but not as much as you would think. But the car I sold, I sold because of this weird supply chain thing where they mm-hmm. can't get these chips for new cars. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing where you're going to get more for your trade-in or more for a car you're selling than you paid for it. It's probably never going to happen again. But there's a weird kink in the supply line that has created this. There are all these little things. I was telling my wife about this last night. There's little pockets of opportunity, but there's also huge pockets of danger. So the reason I bring this up is because the economy is not functioning at the right way right now. This is not this is not normal that I could go in and get more for a car than I did last year. That's not normal, and it's not healthy. Now, I'm taking advantage of it because I can. But it's not healthy for the overall economy. I get the the real bad, awful feeling that we're like right on the precipice of something that could be very, very horrible. And and here's when you know we're even closer to the edge or starting to go over the edge. And we saw this during COVID last year, and you see it occasionally. It's what you see in Cuba and Soviet Russia. You go to the grocery store, and you want to buy brisket. Yeah. Well... It's not that they're out of all meat. They're just out of brisket. Right. Or it's so high, nobody's buying it. The last package is, you know, 50 bucks and it's sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you buy chicken breast instead. You go to buy, um, you know, some kind of milk and they don't have milk. They've got powdered milk instead. Okay. Right. right. Uh, this is when you know we're there. It's not, it's not that you can't afford it or that the shelves are empty. It's that your choices now look like Cuba or right. Soviet Russia. You know, I've talked to people from Cuba, and they're like, it's not like there wasn't stuff on the shelves. It was just only you there was only one brand of anything, right. one brand of toilet paper. And, and the government, and just like they've done with the vaccine, where they've changed what they say it does for you, Right. You know, the efficacy has gone from, well, it keeps you from getting a symptomatic infection and spreading it to, well, it keeps you from dying. Right. Right. Uh, they're doing the same thing at the supermarkets. They're saying, well, I went to the supermarket and there was plenty of meat. Right. Or what kind of meat? Yeah. What kind of meat? Or I went to the supermarket and there was plenty of toilet there was paper. plenty of ground chuck. What are you complaining yeah. about? Right. But what they're. So they'll move, they'll move the goalposts on that as that time comes, and people will be making excuses for it. And they'll yeah. say, "Well, you need to suffer, or you're not patriotic." Right. 
They'll make it. They'll make it patriotic to have fewer choices. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what we did when we we just crushed a lot of small businesses, and now on top of that, we're asking them to tell their patrons that they have to be vaccinated and cut out half their potential customers. And yeah, it's it's a mess. But I, I I think those little cracks in the economy are what scare me the most. You know, it's like I may have taken advantage of one small thing and gotten something out of it, but it's a fissure in a much bigger landscape that there's an earthquake that's about to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm very concerned. Are you, are you concerned about the future? I'm concerned. Uh, I'm slightly optimistic on certain things. Okay. Uh, there were 1500 people who protested in Northern Kentucky yesterday against a hospital mandate that all the nurses take the vaccine Mm. and everybody that works there. That's good. Yeah. 1500 people lining the streets. Yeah. It's not counting the cars in the caravan going by and honking with their signs. Right. So that makes me optimistic that people are getting fed up. The other thing that makes me optimistic is now, the pendulum never swings back far enough, but right. I think in this next election it's going to swing back because the Democrats have gone from all these giveaways, these promises of wealth distribution, redistribution like free college, right? right? They're no longer the platform of free college and $20 minimum wage and and free housing, et cetera, et cetera. They are the uh, party of we're going to control every aspect of your yeah, life. Right, right. And openly, they've just yeah, gone right to it. Yeah. And just suffer, you know, we're all in this together, suffer a little bit. Meanwhile, I'm talking to blue collar uh, workers who naturally in the past might have gravitated toward the Democratic Party, who've been just devastated yeah. by the, the shutdowns, the restarts. If you're working in a, if you're a working in a restaurant mm-hmm. and you've, and you lose that job because your restaurant's out of business. Or you go to a factory every day and you're told, well, we'll give you a day off to deal with the effects of the vaccine. But if you get the vaccine, you won't have to wear a mask. And then, But you have to wear a mask on public transportation. And then you get there, and now they're saying, well, put the mask back on. <laughs> those, those Democrats are tired of it. Yeah. The people who were running the restaurants who, you know, liberals probably cook better than conservatives unless it's barbecue. Okay. True. Good point. Um, and so, you know, even some moderates or moderate to liberal folks can't afford to vote for Democrats anymore. Right. Yeah. They can't afford to vote for our governor who's shut them down. And if they've owned three restaurants, one uh, one or two of them is out of business. Right. They can't afford that. And then you got the moms who are a large segment of the voting uh, constituency who are showing up at school board meetings given the school board a piece of their mind for what they're doing to their kids. Mm-hmm. And those moms w- wouldn't, I don't think, a lot of them wouldn't consider themselves ideologues. Uh, and they can vote, they can and do often vote uh, split ticket in elections. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to come over to the Republican side in this next election. So I think the, the Democrats are going to take a beat down in the next election. I hope yeah. you're right, but I also hope the Republicans will grow some stones and actually do what it. What, you're what, asking for too what, much. <laughs> I know, but but the reason why they would win, let's do, let's have you guys do what it is that that people want by voting for you for once, you know. Yeah, that, wouldn't um, that be nice to vote for us because we're doing, yeah. we're fighting yeah. instead of 
we're just not as bad as the Democrats. Yeah, that's why I like Ron DeSantis. He's actually out there fighting for people. And he's been great. He doesn't cower. He doubles down when the yep. president says something to him. He pushes back. Yeah, he's he's an intelligent guy who uh, he. When, in spite of his Harvard education and his Yale, ed <laughs> Yale education, um, he's a smart guy who looks at the numbers and then makes up his mind based on not on what bureaucrats are telling him, but right. the data that he can analyze. Yeah, I love and it. And so, you know, we need more of that. We need more governors like that. But I, I think we're moving in that direction. You know, in the beginning, and, uh, and still, if you watch – the mainstream media but in the beginning they really went after ron DeSantis, and they're constantly after him but when the dust settles on all this he's going to be the hero and i think that's he yeah. you know he would make a great standard bearer for the party yeah and i think he's going to be the hero right in time for 2024 i'm going to say this i said it on facebook i got in a little bit of trouble for saying it i'll say it on my podcast i'd like for i'd like for trump to get out of the way um there's things i appreciate about what he did as president, but Ron DeSantis is everything is uh, is a lot of the the strength that Trump had without the baggage, and I think smarter. So that's just me. But I'm I'm so you know you're in media and I'm a politician. So let me be a little more political <laughs> and say a little more diplomatic. A little more diplomatic. Yeah. I I don't want Trump to get all the way. I want him to help Ron DeSantis. Yeah, help. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see him out there campaigning with and for Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I would. I would love for uh, Trump to give his counsel and advice to Ron DeSantis as Ron DeSantis runs for president. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. All right. That was a very diplomatic answer. I love, dude. We have gone over an hour now, so okay. I should probably let you go do congressmany type things um, or farmer type things, whichever hat you're wearing today. Both. Building Tesla walls or whatever. I don't know. Whatever I, hat you're wearing, I should probably let you go do that. So, so let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going right. to go cut some iron weed out of my <laughs> pasture. Uh, this after a scheduling meeting. Uh, and then I'm going to butcher 21 Cornish Cross chickens, uh, and put vacuum seal them, and put them in the freezer today. Oh, for you or for other people? For, for us, that's, that's going to be our family's food for the next year. Wow. Twenty-one chickens. If they dress out at eight or five pounds a piece, it's going to be a lot of chicken. Yeah, that's a lot of chicken. And um, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to do a little congressing. I'm going to, um, like I said, I've got a scheduling meeting where I'm going to agree to go do a lot of stuff in the district and uh, meet a lot of people, and that's going to be fun too. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's great talking to you. Thanks for taking this much time out of your your busy day. I mean, you know, getting uh, butchered, slaughtered. Cornish hens or whatever the hell that is, uh, and 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 congressing. We appreciate it. It's good talking to you, sir. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you, Leland. Talk to keep you fighting soon. for freedom. We need more like you in Congress. I hope that when when the Republicans take the House in the middle of the midterms, I hope that they do it with more libertarian minded congressmen like yourself. Smaller government. I, I I've been told by people that you know, followed the 94 election and the 2010 election, that this feels more like a 94 Interesting. Ooh, than a that 2010. Would that would be good. All right. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Thank you, Leland. Bye-bye. All right. Big thanks to Congressman Massey for hanging out with us for more than an hour today. It was a fun episode. It covered a lot, a lot, a lot of interesting ground. Big thanks to Louisville Cabinets of Countertops for their support of our program. 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville, right there on the border of the Oldham County line. If you're in Oldham County, Louisville, Southern Indiana, 
uh, Shelby County, any of those areas, man, you need to call Louisville Cabinets and Countertops and get your dream kitchen. Get it done. 502-930-3304. George, Mikel, uh, Michelle, Kelly, they're all standing by to take your call and help you put your dream kitchen in place. I can tell you that after they did our kitchen in Kentucky when we lived in Oldham County, it changed everything. I love to entertain, and it just made my kitchen useful. It made it beautiful, and I'm pretty confident that when we had to sell, when we moved to Colorado, it's the reason we sold in less than a day. Um, your kitchen makes all the difference in whether you in a level of enjoyment of the home as well as its perceived value when people walk in. Super important. Tim Montgomery and his crew have great work ethic. I highly recommend them. So give them a call. Uh, check out their website at LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com or 502-930-3304 or... Um, yeah, just call Michelle or Kelly or George. And by the way, if you're a, if you're a uh, contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, they have cabinets in stock ready to go that are beautiful. Go to the website and check out all the different styles. So thank you to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Also, Dynamics Audio Productions for their help with the audio on this program. I am Leland Conway. Find me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show. At uh, Instagram, it's at GreatlyLondo. The podcast is on Twitter as at Zone Disruption, and it's on this, this, the uh, uh, Instagram as at uh, the Disruption Zone. So check it out there. You can download it for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or iHeartRadio's app. And then we'll have fresh episodes delivered straight to your pocket. I am Leland Conway. Thanks for listening to the Disruption Zone.